This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. Today, we take to the stage with a Broadway star that is currently touring in Hamilton as Angelica Schuyler. She has starred in the Broadway shows The Book of Mormon and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. She's been on the national tours of The Lion King and Aida. It is no surprise that she is an amazing singer, actor, and human being. Coming up is the golden-throated songbird herself, Marja Harmon. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free. You're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. <laughs> Hi, Pat. It's nice to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. It's so good to see you and to talk to you. I know you have just been busy on the Hamilton horseback ride of a lifetime. Yes. Yes, it never it never ends. And we're currently here in Toronto, um, Canada, and that's where our company will be closing in August. So it's been a it's been an amazing ride from Puerto Rico to here. Right. And how, has this been over three years? Yes. Not including the pandemic. Yes. And that Puerto Rico production where you began, Lin-Manuel Miranda re-entered the role as Alexander Hamilton, which I thought was an extraordinary piece of leadership because Puerto Rico had been torn apart by storms. What was that reception like when you all arrived? It was like an insane rock concert every single night. The pride that the community has for him is definitely overwhelming. And, you know, we were able to raise so much money for the arts programs in Puerto Rico. and. It was just really cool to see the reception there, especially after the hurricane, us being there brought a lot of tourism back. The local community was very excited and the reception was so warm and it was really unforgettable and very cool to just perform with the man who created this masterpiece. I started in this company as a standby. So I was an offstage cover for the Schuyler sisters and I got to make my debut there in Puerto Rico with Lynn as Angelica because that was the first role that I learned. Wow, that is amazing. It was definitely art from the heart, but it did impact the economics and not just the tourism, but the idea of all this hopefulness. Things still weren't all the way back, but people were coming in and seeing all of that it was it was really an amazing moment i thought in time for the arts it was it truly was and it was great to be a part of it and yes you're right things had not come all the way back especially like if you left the center of the city like the epicenter of puerto rico you could very much still see a lot of damage you know there were like tourist attractions that we couldn't participate in because the ecosystem still hadn't come back yet so we couldn't like you know see the bioluminescent bays and there yeah it was very palpable when we got there it was still an incredible experience and you mentioned being a standby so i guess for the listener i want you to explain the differences of being a cover and being a standby and being an understudy there's a nuance there isn't there there is there's a huge nuance because most people just generally say understudy but within our industry there's actually different titles so a standby is an off-stage cover so we're not in the show nightly standbys cover principles Hamilton is unique in that 
one person will cover multiple principles, which is kind of unheard of. In Wicked, for instance, there's an alphabet standby, singular. In Hamilton, I covered Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy slash Mariah Reynolds. But you have to know their blocking. You have to know the roadmap of every moment in the show that, that you might have to walk in. Their blocking, their harmonies, their costume changes. It's all encompassing. And then there's an understudy. An understudy is generally someone who is internally in the show as an ensemble member, but can also cover a principal. So their job is really demanding because they're performing eight shows a week, but then also have to be ready to go on as a principal character at any given time. And then there is what we call a swing and a swing is someone who covers the ensemble. So female swings know all the female ensemble roles. Male swings know all the male ensemble roles. And so in Hamilton, that's six roles each. You know what? Your peer, uh, Rick Negron, who plays uh, King George III, told me about his days as a swing. And it sounds like it's some kind of a brain scramble because you sometimes get pushed out there and you don't know where you are until somebody else nudges you into the spot to know all those parts. And if somebody twists an ankle coming off stage and you have to go on. Yep. And it happens so seamlessly sometimes that we don't even know. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's all of a sudden it's like, wait, someone's was on stage all of a sudden. It's jarring and it's crazy. I personally have never had to do a mid-show swing on, which is what we call it, like a mid-show replacement but it's very common. It actually just happened yesterday in our show. Wow. So, yeah. It's like switching Darren's in the middle of Bewitched. Truly. They didn't tell you it was a different <laughs> dude. And you're like, she married to a new guy now? It's like, oh, it's you now. I mean, like so, sometimes it's great where it backstage they have the chance to pass the message, but sometimes it happens within a number and there's just not time to notify the onstage company. You have played all three sisters, mm -hmm. Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. Can you kind of describe the differences of the roles? I know they have different songs and different relationships with Alexander Hamilton in terms of what your vibe was in each character. Well, I'll start the one with like, which I'm currently playing, Angelica, who's the matriarchal force. She's powerful. She's loyal. She could leave with many other things because she's a socialite, she has charisma, but she loves to leave with her intelligence, inserts herself into the room, especially with all these men and in, in a lot of these conversations. And, you know, and then there's her younger sister, Eliza, who is incredibly strong elegance and, and quiet confidence is what how I've always described Eliza. She's strong in the ways that most people can't be and need to be and their relationship is really beautiful and symbiotic you know angelica makes a huge sacrifice because of her love for her sister which is she lets go of her love for hamilton to make room for eliza and she's her biggest champion when things go south in the marriage in terms of trying to help repair the emotional damage and then there is Peggy Mariah, which was just always so much fun. I mean, Peggy's not given a lot of <laughs> space within the show in the first act, but the big thing that everyone knows Peggy for is she represents the fear, the palpable fear of the time. Like her sisters are excited to be in the thick of it and see what's happening in the conversations about the revolution. And she's, she doesn't know about it. She's a little hesitant. And I think it's actually representative of the people who maybe felt that actual fear. 
And then you get the fun of playing the dual role with Mariah Reynolds in the second act, which is really great. I forgot about that. So that is a really important part of it is that she's the acting role is not insignificant no. at all. It feels like Anne Peggy just having the Anne Peggy is almost like Anne the rest on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> that the three of them are out there together in the early dance sequences and singing together and harmonizing. But I totally forgot that that is a role where you end up playing, there's some gravitas in that second role. Yes, and a lot of vulnerability. And Hamilton does a very cool thing, which they actually, the directing team leaves it up to the actor to decide whether or not you intended to entrap Hamilton or you were used as a pawn. So I think it's always really fun to watch and see how each actor interprets it. I like that. Let's talk about the, the pandemic change. You were running in San Francisco with your team, and I know some of your fellow actors, Darnell Abraham was playing George Washington. We met during that break. We had a chance to work together, but I know when you came back, I saw the show in San Francisco, and there was sort of a restaging. Part of it had to do with social distancing. So how significant was that change, and what were the most important steps to reblocking or reworking the show? I'm trying to recall now, it feels like forever ago. Yes, we were definitely more aware of spacing. You know, there's a lot of, of course, interactions within the show where you might get up in someone's face and as theater, there's always liquids flying, uh, spit flying. We were very aware about how close we got towards one another. A lot of the kisses were taken out and became kind of stage kisses when we first came back. I think also there was a difference in how the show hit certain lyrics, certain themes. We were very present and aware of things that we were saying in a different way, especially, you know, in Wait For It, when we were saying the lines, life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the hate, you know, the, it takes and it takes and it takes. And I think coming out of the pandemic, certain songs and certain lyrics just really took on a different meaning for a lot of the company members and also the audience members. But I mean, logistically, we had and still do travel with the COVID safety team. And when we initially came back, we were testing every single day. Um, we were masking everywhere except for when we were actually physically doing something on stage. And now we masks are still encouraged. It kind of depends on where we are. But since we're in Toronto and the, the risk is very low, masks are encouraged, but most people aren't really wearing them anymore unless we do have an outbreak, which we have not had. And uh, we only test if we're experiencing any symptoms. So, I mean, so far we've been good since we've been here, which is great, but we've definitely got hit by Omicron like every other Broadway show. <laughs> and we've had some starts and stops. But also the, the whole business we were talking about of swings and covers and understudies oh, yes. came into play. People got a lot more stage time and unfortunately in under test conditions because you are carrying folks and people are dropping out for a week or 10 days at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, swings, covers, uh, standbys, they became the heroes. I mean, they're, all, they're already heroes, but like truly they kept the show going because once one person gets it, especially if it's a major alpha spreader, say like a Hamilton, uh, who has close <laughs> contact with the most people, it's only a matter of time before most of the company goes down. Right, right. And, you know, thinking about pre-pandemic, in the days of you understudying, you might go on once every three months or something, True. right? Like to yes. to stay fresh, they put you in a Sunday matinee or a, or a Wednesday or something. Yes, and it was multiple times a week, or you had like multiple covers covering someone's COVID absence, or if it was the right combination of people, they would have to fly 
you know, a universal cover from another company or someone from another company oh, out right. to help so that at least the number of coverage stays the same. It was definitely a chaotic time there for a while. It was going on on Broadway too in, in all of the shows. Like I remember hearing about the woman that went in on Music Man for Sutton Foster where the understudy hadn't had a live performance with the audience and she had to go in that night with the rehearsal that day. Yeah. It's extraordinary how the show must go on works when it has to work. When it has to work. And it also, I think it also brought up the question for many of us, when should the show not go on? Right. <laughs> there were many moments where we knew, like once we started figuring out how the testing, of course, worked, we know that exposure and when you actually test positive, there could be days in between that. So people were performing who had been exposed, continuing to expose more people. I was always like, maybe we should just stop for a moment so that everyone doesn't get this, but then that would inevitably happen and we would have to permanently stop for two or three weeks. Yeah, there's always a fight with commerce and there's a certain amount invested in the tour and the infrastructure and the people. So, I mean, that is definitely a values issue. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes you see that the power of the team, whether that's a sports team or a theatrical troupe, sometimes can stop money from being the end-all be-all reason for something. And there are other times that we as artists lead with wanting to put on the fundraiser or being the first responders to raising money for something that's a problem. Right. It's, I guess everyone's its own riddle at that moment in, in time. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, let's talk about some of your other theatrical excursions. Okay. Like I know that you did Book of Mormon on Broadway mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a fun and over the top show that's edgy. And how long were you in that show as an ensemble member? I was in Book of Mormon for four years in New York. Wow. Yes, yes. And did you enjoy that show and its lyrics and all of the fun of yes, it? Yes, I had actually never seen it until I got cast in it because for the longest time it was so difficult to get a ticket for. It was the hottest thing. And when I saw it, I was expecting it to be absolutely hilarious and irreverent, and it was, but I also wasn't expecting it to be so heartwarming. And it's so smart. The joke within the joke within the joke, if you're able to kind of like decipher through all of it, but it was a lot of fun. That building obviously is such a happy building. It's a very happy musical. It was enjoyable. It was low pressure. It, you know, there was just laughter throughout the, which is quite, I mean, Hamilton is, it's a, it's a masterpiece, but it's also a very, it's a very challenging show. And the toll it takes on you vocally and physically and even mentally to stay keep that focus to say all of those words as crisp as you can it, it, it's a lot of stress and pressure and i i think mormon was a lovely time in my life given the the lift in the show for me wasn't that extensive and it was very fun so i was able to just always approach it with no stress and it's quite different from how i live my life now <laughs> right well, I love Hamilton, but I will say there's an intensity yes, and there's yes. a historic sort of significance, but also there's a lot of urgency in the way it's staged, in what's happening. The dynamics are something that keep you really on the edge of your seat and also questioning where do you stand in all this. You're always having to sort of look inward, not just as a performer, but as an audience member, You're there's an alertness to it. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And I think that in Book of Mormon, there's a wide variety of things from the ding dong doorbell song up front that's just fun and silly and energetic and all of those kinds of things. And so inappropriate. I mean, oh, so inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not a show I can recommend to my mom for many reasons, but I think that the Robert Lopez compositions, it's so bright, just a fantastic musical score underneath all of that. Yes. Absolutely. It's so bold. I mean, like at the time, it was amazing that they're like, this could actually be on Broadway. Like, you know, some of the Hasadiga-Ibuai, like some of the things that are said and done on the stage, I was like, this is happening on Broadway? Oh my goodness. But it's great. It is amazing. Now, my understanding is that Trey Parker and... Uh, uh, Stone, Matt Stone. Matt Stone had, had been working on it for years in their college days. So it does have their amazing, irreverent sensibility. And I think it was of its time because it just couldn't come any earlier. You couldn't do a double bill with Sound of Music on this thing. No, absolutely. And t I mean, timing's most of it, don't you think? When an, an exceptional piece of art comes along, it also usually needs to coincide with the right cultural timing and moment. And I think for both Hamilton and Book of Mormon, that was very true. Now, I'm going to talk about another thing that I would consider to be a Broadway production. You were really the producer of this, and you don't maybe think of it the same way as I do. I can see your face. You had a wedding last year. <laughs> I did. <laughs> in November. Yes. <laughs> and a wedding that rivals a Broadway production <laughs> in terms of putting it on for one night. It's opening and closing night. Yes. Googling around on you, I found the wedding pictures and it's it's unbelievable how it looked. Kind of an autumnal flower arrangements that were like a waterfall coming off the wall and down the aisles. Let me ask you to start with the costume. I'll call it in quotes. But your wedding dress, because you were on tour, was difficult to be able to go and try things on. Mm -hmm. So I read about how you went about that, and I'd like you to share that, and I can maybe fill in with some questions, but <laughs> tell everyone how you came about this wedding dress. Oh, wow, yes. I planned my wedding on tour, which was so much fun. No, it was not. It was so stressful. Away from my partner. Yeah, I was like, how am I going to find a dress? We're constantly moving. How am I going to get it altered? Like so, so many questions. So there was a designer that I had been following for a long time on social media, Leanne Marshall, and I loved her gown. And I thought, oh, if I ever have a wedding, definitely. And I was looking and she had this program that she calls the go ahead gown. She does it one time a year and it's at a super discounted rate because ding 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 you don't get to see it until it's completed so you just give her four adjectives that's it four i know this is what blows my mind so on instagram you give her four adjectives yes all right yes. so tell us what the four were that you chose and then you literally after that don't see it till it's finished. I did not see it. I placed the order in December. I saw a flat photo of it in April. I did not actually see it in person until I was able to go home from tour. So July, which is, you know, a few months before my wedding that was in November. But the adjectives I gave her, I said deep gold. I gave her the color scheme. Autumn, I gave her the time of year. Chiffon and off the shoulder. That's all I said. Wow. And I picked the size based on my measurements, gearing a little big so that I figured I can get it altered. And I talked to our head of wardrobe uh, in our costume department that travels with us. And she like did amazing work on the dress in terms of alterations. And we would have fittings before shows. I would come in early. Wow. <laughs> we try on the wedding dress. 
she'd make some pins and be like, okay. And then and I'd start getting ready for the show that day. But it came out, I mean, it was a dream. I wanted to kind of feel like a walking golden hour. It, it exceeded my expectations. And it was so risky. When I told people what I was doing, they just were like, oh, that's a bold choice. Yeah, it was gorgeous, though. It was, there was a sort of a golden gradient that went from dark to light. So when you first saw the first rendering then, you got excited or you were concerned or what at that moment? I got excited. I mean, like when she, when, you know, I got the email that, you know, your dress is done, we're gonna be sending it to you. We just wanna confirm the address. And I was like, oh man, I see a photo. And they sent like, just like a flat photo. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> but I couldn't even see like the, like the skirt. Like I could just see maybe half of the dress. And so when I was able to get home and try it on, I was, yes, I was very, very happy. And your theme was sort of a golden hour in Paris. Yes. At fall time. Yes. Vibe. So this now cemented the leading ladies costume. It did, it did. It tied it all together. Charles was, he was like, you take the reins on the design. He was like, I just wanted to feel grown and sexy. I was like, okay, grown and sexy. But I also knew that we both love the fall and I have an affinity for Paris. It's one of my favorite cities to travel to. I was there pre-pandemic in September and the light and the colors of the buildings, it was so extraordinary. And I was like, I want our wedding to feel like that. The incredible team that I worked with, Mary Love Richardson on the florals and Lindsay Reed on the, some of the design concepts. I just like, I just wanted to feel cozy and nostalgic and elegant. And they really accomplished that. It was beautiful. Well, that's something to me in the creativity world that is, it's transferable when you can delegate to amazing people Yes, yes. And I trusted them. I spent a lot of time researching and it was very important to me to really believe and love their work enough that I'm like, just do it. I trust you. You have amazing eye and amazing gift and artistry and I'm an artist myself. And I think that's also what led me to make the decision about the dress because I had followed this designer for years and I knew that there was no way I was going to end up with a dress that I wasn't happy with because she's an incredible talent. Yeah. Well, I think that's amazing. It just speaks to that you communicated your general ideas to people you trusted. And that designer's name again is Leanne Marshall. If they want to check her workout on Instagram, I always like to acknowledge people that make our lives better. Yes. But you also organized a singing flash mob. <laughs> so tell me about how that went. You had some of your Broadway friends perform with you. Was that completely secret from Charles or how did you go about that? It was completely secret from Charles. I was trying to think how, like how I wanted to process down the aisle and what song I wanted. And I've always loved Mika's happy ending, but it's kind of, it's kind of a sad song. You know, it's about, you know, moving on from a uh, breakup, but the ending has this choral part that's just on repeat. It just, you know, a little bit of love, a little bit of love. And I was like, with the tweak of like a couple of lyrics, I can make this a hopeful song and I was talking to my sister and I was like wouldn't it be cool if like we could have some voices and then I was like well Marja you practically have a choir coming to this wedding like a lot of my friends are coming from their Broadway shows or I've been in Broadway shows so my good friend Lily Ling who was a conductor for Hamilton I told her the idea she was like I'll arrange the parts I talked to our quartet that was playing during our ceremony and let them on it. They were so excited. They're like, you mean it's secret? Oh, 
We're so in, we'll do the arrangement for free. They were thrilled. So no one knew about it. Charles had no idea. And they had a secret rehearsal the day of. So everyone got their parts in advance. They learned their parts. There was like a quick pickup rehearsal the day of the wedding. Charles, of course, he's a triathlete. Charles went and ran a 5K that morning. So while Charles is running a 5K, <laughs> everyone got together to practice with the quartet who came early. And, you know, the wedding, the day of coordinator was there to watch everything and make sure it all went smoothly. And they like recorded a little bit of it so I could hear it. But I also was kind of surprised at how it all came together too because it was incredible and the, and the guests did it and the guests didn't know oh and you weren't even part of it you didn't sing they did i i didn't sing at all no i i processed down the aisle at like the climax of the vocal parts but the guests didn't know either so like people just i have a place in my heart for the movie love actually even though watching it now it's kind of problematic but anyway it was a big love actually like people just popping up in the audience and people were like oh my gosh they're singing people are singing and it and more people popped up and it grew and it got bigger and bigger and my friend ben roseberry had this great breakout solo and that's when i came in and charles he was so overwhelmed he was in tears i i mean i didn't know how he was going going to react but what was so beautiful is that eventually everyone was standing and everyone was singing, even though they didn't know the song. <laughs> everyone was like repeating the refrain and it was kind of amazing to walk down the aisle towards him with all of my friends and family's voices just like around us. It was, it's the best part. And it's on my Instagram, if anyone wants to relive it <laughs> or, or, ta or take a peek. <laughs> well, that's fun. I mean, it's fun that we have a place like that as opposed to like a dusty reel of film sitting in the closet <laughs> especially when you infuse your own vision and creativity into something it's like a living scrapbook yes and it was cool for me because i often have like these little glimmers of these types of ideas but you know i usually talk myself out of it and i didn't talk myself out of this one and it just the way it materialized was so beautiful and people still talk about it and it it was great because the the coordinator she came up and, and lauren came up and i was getting ready and i was like how was the rehearsal and she goes marja it's the highlight of my career i cannot wait <laughs> that's so great let me put a pin on that thought which is that you went forward with the idea mm -hmm. you could have stopped that idea in its tracks you could have said it's going to be too complicated you could have said mm -hmm. what how are we going to do the arrangements but you didn't you free fall into it and then you let the results come. And I really do think that we're often surprised how creations are born and how they make us feel afterwards because you, you see just a little bit of your DNA in the idea, but then each of your friends is bringing something to the party and I think it's great. And I mean, I think you made a lot of choices. That was a very, very important celebration for you. So choosing your first dance, which I read was a kind of a mashup between Ed Sheeran and Beyonce. Yeah, into the Cupid Shuffle to invite everyone onto the dance floor. Right, how fun is that? You get to celebrate love, you get to celebrate romance, you get to have all of your friends and family in those moments, but you're not doing it to a template, you're doing it with your own signature in some ways. Yeah, and we were very intentional. I had been vocal my whole entire life about never really wanting or needing a wedding. In fact, my friends were so surprised <laughs> when they got an invitation. <laughs> they were like, oh my gosh, they're having a wedding. 
but it came on the heels of the pandemic. I hadn't seen so many of my friends in years and our family members and getting everybody in the same room. And, and we kept it relatively small. We had 65 guests. Every invite was super intentional. We really made it our own and you know, broke a lot of traditional rules, had champagne toasts in the middle of the ceremony. We did exactly what we wanted it to do and it felt very much like us, but it also just felt like a celebration of love and life after such a traumatic time. And also a time where Charles lost his mother. Mm. Um, we almost lost my father and it kind of just became apparent to me that weddings are it's an event in a lifetime where people get to come together that wouldn't normally be in the same room together. Yeah. And we should take advantage of this. We have to celebrate the good things as well. And we really, we're very proud of that wedding. Well, it's great. And as they say, a wedding is a day, a marriage is a lifetime. Yes. The marriage is great too. It's good. <laughs> the partnership has been fantastic. Good. And then you went off on a honeymoon. So I'm thinking about how. Oh, I haven't been on. Oh, you honeymoon. haven't. I leave in three weeks. I'm so excited. Okay, and you're off to Italy. We're off to Italy, yes, yes, finally. Have you been to Italy before? Yes, but neither of us have been to the Amalfi Coast before. We're going for two weeks. The first week we'll do Tuscany, which Charles has never been to Tuscany. I've been a few times. So I'm excited to show him one of my favorite areas of Italy, and then we'll both have a completely new experience in Amalfi. Excellent. So tell me about your favorites there in Tuscany, in all these walled cities. Well, out of all the walled cities, I have an affinity for Cortona and Pienza. I mean, it's it's so beautiful, but it also just smells like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the, the views from any of these cities or villages, I mean, the rolling hills and the textures of Tuscany, it, it's extraordinary. But my, you know, I'm, I love Italian food. So I love to just slip into every local restaurant and have every cacio pepe, every carbonate, like the pasta, the pasta, the pasta. I love aperitivo. I love the hour where everyone comes into the piazza and you can just people watch. It's it's my favorite. And the Italians know how to enjoy and you know indulge in pleasure and live. And I think when you're there, you get swept up in it and it's so nice. And I need a lot of I need a lot of that right now. <laughs> and I would think that a combination of things. First of all, coming off of all that intense performing it didn't, you didn't really get a, a break to put on a wedding because that's a whole nother heavy lift, as you say. And then now this is, the preparation for this has probably required a bit of timing. So you will actually get a proper escape. A proper escape, yes, yes. I got married during our layoff time, which is like a scheduled break within our tour because they had to ship the set to Hawaii that was before our Hawaii engagement. So we had two weeks off. But I didn't want to rush into a honeymoon. And I also knew that we'd be very exhausted post-wedding. Also, I was coming off of tour. I hadn't been home and I just wanted to be at home right. for, right. you know, and just rest for those two weeks. We postponed it and we've had something to look forward to. And, and now we'll get to enjoy it fully rested. I saw that in Hawaii, you and Darnell Abraham learned the Hawaiian cultural tradition of the hula awana. We did. That's fun. That's online somewhere where the two of you were dancing the hula. Much harder than it looks. Oh my goodness. I like the serious look on his face. So I don't know if he was counting his steps. It was really fun to see what you did when you were there kind of on your off moment. 
Well, I've been fortunate enough to get to go to Hawaii and Alaska, both for work, because I went to Anchorage with Lion King. And the hiking, the waterfalls, the swimming in the ocean, I tell you, morale in the Anpagi Company was very high, <laughs> all, of, all of Hawaii engagement. It, it was beautiful. We were very fortunate to get to be there and also get to participate in so many beautiful tra traditions like yeah. that. Well, I'm lucky to have met you at a moment in time where things were quiet. People were sheltered in place. All the Hamilton shows were put on hold, which again, I thought was a very smart thing. I mean, part of it was we had to, but the idea was let's be leaders in being sure that we're responsible in bringing people together to gather for, for the arts. And you and a couple of your peers were really fantastic to join me for some Zoom events. One time I called you because somebody had called me to produce a, a retirement send-off for a woman that had been with a company for a long time. Yes. But you, earlier you said something about changing a lyric or two to the song that led to your coming down the aisle. Well, you are an unbelievable singer, but one of the favorite songs of this person was from Frozen. We changed, it barely changed the lyric at the end from Let It Go to Let Her Go because she was going off to her next venture. They wrote me the greatest thank you note for you surprising them in that event and singing a song or two that I always referred when I had any of you on something, I would say to people, you want to be in the Zoom where it happened. Because Zoom's got to be pretty dreadful. But when you or Darnell or Rick joined in to close out with a couple of songs or to tell a few stories about what it was like to be on the road. But it was the most hopeful moments in the pandemic to say, oh, we don't have venues, but we still have a voice. That from your living room or Rick's bedroom or wherever everybody was in their studio, you know, we could still impact people in a way that is why we all got into the arts in the first place, I believe. Yes, yes, and it filled a void that was really present and, and present in a way that actually surprised me. I, I think all the ups and downs of the entertainment industry, it's so intangible. Like sometimes you're working, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're trying to hustle and audition and get the next thing. And I think a lot of times you tell yourself that you don't need certain outlets, even just to make it through those tough times. And what I realized during the pandemic is, oh, I need to perform. I'm a performer. And the intensity that I felt during that entire time that had nowhere to go, it was tough. And even Charles was like, he's he's a triathlete. He does these huge like road cycle trips. You know, he'll go out for like 50 or 60 miles at a time. I took it up too. So I, I learned how to road cycle so I could just get my energy out and we would go across the Golden Gate Bridge and go into Marin and cycle a cycle all morning. But you know, I had to find an outlet. And I think I learned how important performing was for me and how important being able to connect with audiences and tell stories and have an impact. And you could tell that people on those Zooms needed some type of entertainment to break up the monotony of like the digital space. And also we needed it too. And it helped in a lot of ways, our creativity and to access and learn about new skills. Like everyone all of a sudden became very good at tech. Right. <laughs> I've never been good at tech. I hate setting things up, but like self-taping and lighting and how to get the best sounds. You know, I called Kevin McCoy, our sound engineer for Hamilton. And I was like, how can I get the best vocal sound on Zoom? Like, help me. You know, we got a microphone and it gave me something to really put myself into when I really needed it. 
So thank you, Pat, because it was it was really helpful <laughs> during that oh, time. Oh, it was it was so fantastic. Now I have gone on to your website and I've listened to a couple of tunes there that I would like to point. Like I want people to hear you sing that brave song which was a sarah barilla song right yes yes there's a recording there of you doing it at joe's pub for a broadway get glad fundraiser yes and uh, i love that there's a lyric in there that says or how big your brave is and did you discover for yourself how big your brave was over the last several years (laughs) yes this industry is is so tough there are definitely highs and definitely lows. And every time you fall down or every time something doesn't work out the way you want it to, having to be able to get back up and try it again, it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of bravery. I mean, I think anyone who puts any type of art out in the world, it takes vulnerability, it takes strength, it takes courage, especially after lots of no's. Uh, even in my journey with Hamilton, I, I remember on my debut, you know, you don't get a chance. We didn't really have a put in in Puerto Rico. I had never, I hadn't been in most of my costumes. I hadn't done it with lights or the band. You're rehearsing with the offstage company, not the onstage company. And I remember before I, before I went on, I turned around to my friend and colleague, Rebecca, and I said, this is crazy. I've never done this before. And you just eventually have to trust that you have it and you have to be really really brave because it's scary it's terrifying it's terrifying to get up in front of that many people and to also perform something that's so beloved that people usually know you're dealing with so many variables and at the end of the day the only thing you can control is your preparedness that's what helps me cut the fear is being as prepared as I can be. Because it's so beloved and because so many kids were able to watch it on Disney Plus over and over, what do you face when you come out to a young fan when the show's over? How happy are they or what what is that sort of impact? Oh gosh, it's not even after, it's during. I mean, the moment that the opening starts and especially like when we're in the timeline like in, in, in the opening and we're all singing that big note in unison, you see faces, adults and kids be like, oh, like, like it's, it's happening, it's happening. You know, they're so excited to be there and be seeing it in person. And the, the Disney capture was so great and it's so wonderful to get to see that original cast be epic. To see it in the actual medium which it was created for, it's a sensory explosion. It's fantastic. And yes, watching people watch it and get very excited, seeing people come to the theater dressed as soldiers or dressed as the Schuyler sisters, which often happens, um, is always heartwarming. The power of live theater is such a contagious community moment. And you said the importance of performing, but really, Performing almost sounds like it's vanity when, when what you, I know what you mean, which is you're expressing yourself. You're a storyteller in a character, living a life that is creating an energy. That's all of what performing does for us. So it's therapeutic to express yourself publicly like that. If you walk out with ego, that's quite a bit different. If you're cocky about performing, and I think particularly everybody I saw in your company after the pandemic, nobody takes any night of performance for granted at all. We're lucky to be there. We're happy to be there. We're all on this trust fall together, uh, every performance. Every performance. And 
we sacrifice a lot to do that, especially, especially in a touring company, you know, we're not home. We're not with our friends and family. We're constantly moving, which means we're constantly reorienting ourselves to a new venue, a new crew, a new city, a new home. Hard to find your routine that you need to do the grueling eight shows a week. We miss birthdays and funerals and holidays and weddings, graduations when we do it all because of the love of sharing and storytelling and feeling that transference between the audience. Cause I think there's something very, very special about a group of people getting together, a group of strangers, even getting together in the dark to experience something together. And I know for me, theater has always been such a great outlet because I'm an introverted person. I'm a shy person. I grew up very shy. I never felt comfortable expressing myself, but I did on stage through music. It's something that I really need to feel connection as well. Yeah, I can't remember who said this, so I'm just going to kind of give it a universal quote around it. But somebody did say something that we tell stories in the dark so that we can help each other find the light. Mm -hmm. And see ourselves. It's a, it's a mirror. It's a reflection. And and that's so what's so beautiful about Hamilton and so many other shows is that you see so many, you see the complexity of humanity in every single character. You see the duality that everyone's dealing with at any given moment. Yeah, the power of the human condition. Now, given the fact that you have been with this troupe with some changes along the way a little bit, but you have created a family, and as you just described, you end up having Christmas together and <laughs> Thanksgiving. Like all the time, we want to go to a Broadway show. You guys got to stick around in whatever town you're in. But you are finally wrapping this tour up. The Anne Peggy tour wraps up in Toronto over the next couple of months. And as it's sunsetting, is there some highlights with this group of folks that you remember where you say, oh, this was the pinnacle of our, when I felt this family come together. There's countless. Puerto Rico, for everyone who, for all the original company members who were able to be there in Puerto Rico, I mean, that moment will forever be such a, a, a pinnacle in my career, for sure. I would honestly have to say, like truly navigating the space during the pandemic and after the pandemic together. Our company, the Hamilton companies together, but specifically also our company, were in contact the entire pandemic. We would have even like twice monthly Zoom meetings where we all just connected and talked to each other, asked each other where we were, how we were doing. When Omicron took our company down or COVID took like our company down a couple times. People who were healthy went around and delivered things to people who were not. We've really helped hold space for all the complicated feelings of how quickly we were ripped out from our jobs and how quickly we were thrust back in and how scary it was. Because especially moving, I mean, for the shows that set down in New York, the COVID protocols were consistent. For us who were moving, it changed state by state. We would go to a place where we would feel relatively safe to a place where we did not. And we had to hold each other through the, all of that. I mean, the one thing, as I just said, like everything around us is constantly changing. The one thing that is constant is us. We are a moving community. And I think just even being there for each other during those incredibly difficult times will probably be the thing that at least I hold on to the most outside of like all the fun activities and uh, that we've gotten to experience and parties. And I mean, that first performance back, that first performance back 
post-pandemic. Having not been in front of an audience and then all of a sudden being in front of like 2,000 people again after a year and a half, performing something that was familiar but felt like, oh God, it's the first time I've done this and doing it all together. I mean, when we took that final bow, there wasn't a single dry eye in the audience from that we could see, but also from us. Like we just released everything, everything that we had been holding for 18 months that we were able to just come together and tell the story again. And it was really, really, really special. Well, as we wrap up, I would love to know in Hamilton, do you have a favorite song to sing? I know I've heard you sing different Skylar sister songs that have really blown my mind. And I just wonder if any of those has a special place in your heart. Oh gosh. Satisfied is my favorite song to sing. It is one of the hardest songs in the musical. It is the hardest rap in the musical. And Lynn will say that it's just a candy factory for an actor. There's so many ups and downs and thought processes throughout that entire song. And it's, so fun to do and it keeps me on my toes every single night and there's not a moment where i'm not stressed before i do it and relieved after it's over my favorite song to back up in is wait for it and room where it happens i love burr's songs but i feel like wait for it those lyrics are just so resonant it is a magnum opus and room where it happens is just so much fun it's just a great number but i mean there's I mean, Hamilton is a smorgasbord of amazing music, but yeah, for me, satisfied. I feel a huge sense of accomplishment and pride being able to navigate that song eight times a week. And what a great word to, this is a very satisfying experience <laughs> for me. No, to have you here. I really adore you. you. I think you're really talented. And thank I you. thank you so much, Marsha Harmon, for putting the Harmon and Harmonies and investing the time to share with my listeners. If they want to know more about you, they can go to marjaharmon.me, that's .me, and check out your website and see some of your glorious accomplishments. I wish you the very best for you and Charles on your trip to Italy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, with sound editing under the steady hand of Tucker Hazel. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp. With additional production support and sanity provided by Delilah Lovejoy, Tony Deo, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun, as in cross your T's and dot your fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage.